Be seated. As we just remain in that uh, prayerful place for a little bit, you were asked a lot of questions today. You were, uh, you were given a lot of things to think about. You had a lot of quiet time and time to spend with the Lord. And for most of you, that means that something has risen to the surface that if I say, think about that thing that you and God were talking about today, you could probably bring something to mind. <clears throat> and as I read this scripture, I would love for you to bring that to mind. This is from Psalm 71. The Gideon Bible from my room was laid open on this table when I walked in yesterday to this. I've read it several times since then. Psalm 71, verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. <clears throat> for you, O oh Lord, are my hope, my trust, O oh Lord, from my youth. I'm going to pray for us. God, you are our hope. You are our trust. And for many of us, it has been from our youth. And yet we find these things that on a day like today, when we have time, when we have space, in your grace and your mercy, you raise things to the surface that are, that are toxins in us, that are poisoning us, and you want to heal them, and it, they're hard to look at, and so we'd rather look away, and, and though while it's hard, we recognize your grace, and in that place, we need you to be our refuge, that city that we can run to when the accuser says that we are not okay, for whatever reason that might be, you are the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. And so God, that is what we are doing tonight. We are coming to you together. We are looking to your word. We are looking to the life of your son. And we are saying, how do we walk with courage every day in the lives that we lead? It's in your name we pray, amen. So I went running today. Um, I went running at about lunchtime today. I went running today when the rain was coming sideways down the beach. And um, God and I have been in a long conversation lately. Uh, and if you were at the last gathering, I, I kind of let you in on a little bit of it, and I think I'm going to let you in on a little bit more of it tonight. Um, hmm. So here's my thing that percolates to the top. Um, talking about living unedited. Um, uh, <laughs> which sentence do I start with? I know that when someone is in front and speaks, that I know because you've told me this. I don't know because I'm proud. I know because I've been told this. You guys get this picture that I've got all this together and that like my laundry's always done and my kids are always talk nice and my husband is amazing because God has chosen as his way of asking me to serve him to bring truth through communication. But I have the same brokenness as you guys do. I just have a different calling for how to, how, how to bring health and hope and healing to others. You do that by serving and by bringing mercy. And if I started looking at faces, I could tell you the ways that you guys do the same thing to each other by living in the giftedness that God has given you. 
So if you think of your insides and the stuff that percolated to the surface for you today, don't be surprised that the same kind of stuff percolates to the surface for me or other people that you look at thinking that they've got it all together. So for me, the thing that percolates to the surface, the thing that God's been talking with me about quite a bit lately, is my fear of not belonging. Isn't that crazy? In a world where I know so many people, and I know people love me, the deep fear that I respond to in my life is that when it all comes down, I don't really belong anywhere. And that's the fear that then I respond to, and I react to, and that's what my insecurities rise out of, right? And so then I've got these things that I'm sitting in the Stations of the Cross, which, by the way, if you did not get a chance to get up to the fireside room today, it will remain open through the evening tonight till late tonight. I learned from Cannon Beach staff today that they make around at midnight and make sure that their buildings are locked up. Um, so if you need to go back and revisit the Stations of the Cross, or if you didn't go get up there, it would be a phenomenal way for you to kind of finish this day in processing with God. So as I sit at the Stations of the Cross... And I'm sitting at one of the stations. See if I can find the right list. Hmm. Station one, dirt. So today, Jesus, would you give me the courage to let you see and wash my dirty feet? So I've just come from the workshop with Jill and her honest and unedited words that led us into a time of reflection on our own stuff. And I'm recognizing that, yep, this is the button that's being pushed right now is this whole question about belonging. And I begin to realize that the things that rise up in me that I need Jesus to wash are the things that are my response to my fear. So I'm afraid of not belonging, so I respond with jealousy, or I respond with self-justification, or I respond with defensiveness, or gossip to prove that I, I do belong, that there is a group that I know, and so I just, I just have that juicy tidbit that I don't hold on to as well as Trina does. <laughs> and, and the word was a good word, Trina. That, that that's not where my belonging comes from. That's not where my worth comes from by being the person who knows somebody else well enough to know this about them. And the other thing that rises up in me is what I have come to call my escape behaviors. And if you've been hanging around women's ministries for long, you've heard me talk about this. Those things that we do to hide from the stuff we're afraid of. And for me, it's media. But I was talking with my counselor about it about a month ago, and she just said, anything can become a vice. Anything we do can be used to hide, and as my husband calls it, as a drug of choice, okay? Even lack of sleep, just staying up late and lack of sleep becomes a drug of choice because it's the thing that numbs me from the fear and the pain that I am not really even conscious of, right? So God and I have been in this long conversation that largely revolve around my escape behaviors and whatever the current item is that has become my vice that I'm using to hide, and a few years ago, we had this conversation, and he called me to a season of fasting, to fast from everything that I turn to when I just kind of feel overwhelmed. And it was really hard. I would compare it to what the Bible talks about when it talks about the gardener pruning. And I felt like I was being pruned, and it was not comfortable. But what happened as I was obedient to that was I entered into this exhilarated place where I was like, this is what it means to live in submission to God. And I had never been so joyful, and I had never been so, had so much courage. And I loved the way I was living. And you might say, why then, Jennifer, did you go back to your escape behaviors? Well, you can't just go your whole life without eating chocolate. I mean, you can try, but you can't. 
Broccoli is not a comfort food, I'm just saying. <laughs>
And I have found that for me, that picture is a hugely comforting picture. Because from wherever I am in life, whether it's my own sin, or my grief over the sin of somebody else, or the brokenness of the world, there is a refuge that invites me and invites you to that place that even if there is an avenger who has a right to you, even if you are in sin, even if you are broken, even if you are unhealthy, even if you are stuck and you have tried and tried and tried to get unstuck, Jesus Christ is our refuge and he is the place where we run to where the accuser has no hold over us, where there is no condemnation, where there is no fear because there is perfect love and perfect love casts out fear. So we have a refuge. And I show up at the retreat afraid that I'm going to be the weeping prophet. And somebody has left Psalm 71 open on my table. I don't know if it was the setup crew or the housekeeping crew. I've come from a funeral for my uncle. I've had deep sorrow in my life. It's been weighty. And somebody has left open on my table. In you, oh Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Translate. Give me words to say when I stand up front and I haven't had time to prepare. <laughs> Translate. These are your beloved women. And you have invited them here to transform their souls and you have invited me here to be a piece of that journey. And I have nothing to give unless the Holy Spirit of the living God enters in and speaks to you on his own behalf. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. For you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O Lord, from my youth. One of the ways I talk about this when I'm speaking is I talk about waiting for a Holy Spirit download. For those of you that that sounds kind of a little bit too charismatic, just get used to me. Um, <laughs> but when I'm going to bring a, a message to somebody, generally what happens is I immerse myself in the topic, in scripture, in dictionaries, in following things. Just, I immerse myself in the topic in whatever way that it's going to happen. I think about it when I'm running. I think about it when I'm writing. I have it all in the spiral notebook. It's not in order. And maybe sometime before I get up in front, God puts it in order and I know what I'm going to say that time. And maybe sometimes he doesn't and I just know that I've got to speak from the heart. And what I say is I'm waiting for that Holy Spirit download to take all this that I've immersed myself in for months and tell me what is it that's the moment for tonight. And I had that moment today when I was standing out in the however many mile per hour winds those were, and it was like just about blowing me over. And it was like, okay, this is the Holy Spirit download. Like, I just needed a big one this time. <laughs> so I want to digress and tell you a little story. I want to let you know that I am making a point, and it's not just all about me, but since my life is the only stories I have to tell, that's the one you get to hear. So I was out running today, but running has a bigger history for me than just kind of picking up a, a, a pastime as a grown-up, because I'm I'm a little like Sarah, and I'm very competitive, and I'm a perfectionist, and as a kid, how that played out was, I never tried anything unless I knew I'd be the best. Um, I never played basketball, I never played volleyball, I never did any team sports, actually, because I didn't know that I'd be the best, and I wasn't willing to go out and not be the best one out there. And uh, actually, that happened because I went to one school that had sports starting in uh, fifth grade, and I started school there in sixth grade. And so there were some girls who had already played basketball, and I wasn't going to go out for the team if there were some who already knew what they were doing, and I didn't know what I was doing. 
And then I switched schools after that to a school that started sports in seventh and eighth grade, but I didn't move till I was in eighth grade. And I didn't try basketball there because there were some seventh graders who had started and I wasn't gonna start playing with people who had already started playing. This is how, I mean, hindsight is clear, right? When you're in eighth grade, you don't know what you're doing. You're just going, no, I don't wanna play basketball. When you grow up, you realize what was going on. But in PE, you have to run. And I stumbled across the fact that I was faster than everybody in my class in PE. So I signed up for the track team. And I stumbled across the fact that I was faster than most of the people in my school. And then I stumbled across the fact that I was actually faster than most of the people in my district. And I thought, okay, this is a sport for me, one that I can win at. Um, and I started running. So I want to tell you a little bit of the history because I... Somebody told me once, she said, Jennifer, running is prophetic in your life. And as I ran on the beach today, there were some things that came clear that I want to share with you. Because for me, when I started to run, it was for joy. My dad asked me one time, he said, Jennifer, what do you like most about running? And I said, I love the feeling of the wind in my hair on the backstretch. And then I started competing. And so you've got coaches and you've got training and it's all good stuff. And, you've, and your coaches are making you work hard these days and then they're backing you off this day because you've got a meet coming up. And, and there's this whole strategy to it. And, and you've got to figure it all out and you've got to listen and you've got to eat right. And you, I mean, and you just, I, we had a coach who used to joke at the beginning of every year, now you don't want to drink 7-Up before you come to practice because if you drink 7-Up and then you run, then you're going to bubble up. It's like, <laughs> okay. Okay, can you name that coach? Thank you. <laughs> uh, where was I? Seven up, bubble up. So then at one point, you'd, you'd kind of look around, and the purpose for running is about accomplishment, and it's about competition. It's about achievement. It's about training. And somewhere between the wind in the hair and the I gotta turn fast and run left. I mean, coaching isn't actually hard in track. Run fast, turn left, okay. <laughs> By the time, I actually had a coach tell me that at a state track meet one time. I was kind of being a goofball. Coach, any last words before my race? Yes, run fast, turn left. <laughs> um, By the time I finished running competitively, my body was broken my mind was tired. Every time I ran, I had to go to the trainer to get heated up by ultrasound on my knees and legs first so that I could run. And when I finished my workout, I had to go and put and stand in an ice bath up to my thighs so that I could ice everything from the thighs down. And there was no joy. The hair long ago had been put up in a ponytail because that's a little bit faster. <laughs> I'd watched videos dissecting my stride and can you get another two inches out of it? Because two inches for 400 meters will give you three seconds. And what had been born in joy through striving for achieving and accomplishment and competition, which in itself wasn't a bad thing, had become something that I didn't want to see any more of. And it took me about 20 years. And in those 20 years, my relationship to running was guilt, shame, and an occasional jog that led to an injury. <laughs> because I would always try to run too fast. I would get out there and I would hear the old voices playing, the tapes of those coaches. Run faster, if you wanna get any better, you gotta push through the pain. So I wouldn't run for five years and then I'd get out and I'd run a mile and I'd push through the pain and the next morning I couldn't get out of bed. And there was this on off again relationship with running for me until about five years ago when I was actually in the middle of that pruning time that I told you about. 
I began to run again, and I, remembered, I started to remember something. I started to remember that I really, really like the feeling of the wind in my hair. And I can get that feeling if I ride a four-wheeler, but I can't get that feeling if I run anymore. <laughs> there is no wind in the hair. But I remembered that I was made to do this. This is a piece of what I was made to do. And I don't know how to do it anymore. And I had to change the tapes from all those years of it being about competition. And I had to change my perspective on it being about beating the other people. And trust me, it just wasn't pretty when at the all-comers meet at Bush Park, I'm trying to beat the 50-year-old guy and he has a kick left I hadn't anticipated and he beats me and I'm quickly going, Jennifer, this just can't go back into the realm of competition. You need to just run for the sake that it's healthy for your body and that you enjoy doing this. And some of the things that I began to learn in that was that every now and then we have to ask for help. Because see, when I was younger, my body was younger. And now I'm older. And if you haven't done the math, that means my body is older. And so my knees hurt and my feet hurt. And I really want to be able to keep running. And so I go see a physical therapist. And the physical therapist gives me some exercises and gives me some ways that I can think about what's my form when I'm running. So this is too technical, I know. But uh, my knees hurt a lot, but if I will think about lifting when I run and using my other joints a little bit more, it actually changes my stride and I can keep going because my knees don't hurt anymore. So this gets us to today. I take off down the beach in the gale forced winds and I'm like, this is glorious. I love it. This is a challenge. I'm so glad to be out here. And then the wind picks up a little bit more and I'm like, man, this is harder work than I thought, but this is great. <laughs> and then the wind picks up a little bit more and I'm like barely moving. And I'm like, who can see me? Because I just am hardly moving. And I'm really kind of worried about who's looking out the window. And I'm glad I'm down past the Cannon Beach part of the section now. And then it gets to the point where the wind is just literally, like the sand is picked up and it's blowing. And I'm, I'm in three-quarter length yoga pants because that's what I brought. And they're a little too big. That's good news. But they're falling down because of how wet they are. <laughs> And the sand is blowing so hard across the, the, the beach that I think my legs are going to be raw. From, I'm like, I just have to get off the beach. So I finally just give up, and I stop, and I turn with the wind, and that was glorious. And I just I head back down the beach, and I get up on the street, and then I start jogging on the street. So I head up a ways further, and pretty soon my knees start hurting. Uh, a little earlier than usual, probably because I was on the sand. And so I've got to stop and walk. So I stop and walk, I head, I, my whole goal had been to run down to the rock and back. So I'm still trying to just get far enough, like you can go a long ways towards the rock up on the, on the boardwalk up there. So I'm headed down to the boardwalk, but by now I'm walking, I'm not running anymore. And I get back down on the beach and I can't go anywhere on the beach and, and I'm finally stuck and the rock's over there. I didn't quite make my goal and I'm just leaning against the wall. And God and I just start to have a conversation. Now. Some of you don't think like me, and it's probably a good thing. You can just thank Jesus for that, that you don't think like me. But at that point in time, my brain starts to think in analogies and in, in metaphors, and how does this relate to life, and how does this relate to courage? And so I want to back us up, and I want to walk us through my run today from a courage point of view. Because sometimes, courage means being willing to let go of the goal that you thought was the one you took off with. Sometimes courage means recognizing that my circumstances have changed and I thought I was going to the rock and I thought it was going to be exhilarating and I thought it was going to be glorious, but this is different than I thought it was going to be. And there are things that I am aware of now that I was not aware of before and it is actually courage to say, I'm not going to make it to the rock, I'm going to turn around and it's recognizing our limitations, okay? 
So the first one I bumped into was an external limitation. My circumstances changed to the point that I could no longer pursue the goal that I thought I was pursuing, and it was courage for me to turn around, admit my limitations, and head back the other way and keep running in a different direction. When I turned up on the pavement and my knee started to hurt, it was a different roadblock that I ran into. It was an internal roadblock. So the first one was external. These are my circumstances. The second one was internal. This is something that I just bumped into in me and I'm not as strong, I'm not as healthy, I'm not as, put your word to it, I'm not as disciplined. What's the inner thing that you bump into that makes you pause and change your pace? And see, pain was given to us for a reason. In the physical realm, a physical therapist will tell you, when you feel pain, stop. It's your body telling you that something is wrong. And from an emotional perspective, I would say, when you feel pain, stop. It's your body telling you that something is wrong. Your heart is telling that you have something you need to pay attention to. Ladies, it's not wrong to feel pain. It's not, you're not bad if you feel pain. You haven't failed if you feel pain. You're human if you feel pain. And when you feel pain, it's time to stop and pay attention and to change pace and not just keep running pell-mell where you thought you were going because that's your goal and if you don't go there. See, we think that courage means forward motion, action in a forward motion, and that's what courage means, right? Courage means keep climbing the mountain. Courage means see it through and follow it through. Courage means... Pay attention to what's going on. Be aware of your external circumstances and be aware of your internal reactions and respond accordingly and be kind to yourself. See, back when I was doing track and field and running for achieving and accomplishments, I was not kind to myself. I beat my body for the prize. And the prize, in the end, doesn't seem to be quite worth it <laughs> at 42 with aches and pains and Quite frankly, the sports bra that you saw last night is because I didn't wear quality sports bras back in those days. Nobody told me what would happen if you put that kind of leverage <laughs> over that many miles. I'm sorry, was that too much information? <laughs> there is nothing wrong with changing course or changing pace when you become aware that your life is not at the place that it needs to be at. That's courage. It's not quitting. It's not giving up. I am so proud of so many of you today because there are some of you that really, really, really squirmed at that art <laughs> workshop. You were like, give me my cricket and my stickers Give me something I know how to work with. Give me a blank canvas to let me go. But following somebody else's instructions and going through layers was uncomfortable. And I want to invite you to something. I want to invite you to pay attention to why that was uncomfortable for you. Not because it needs to be comfortable, but because you learned something about yourself and how you respond in situations when you're not in control, when it's not something you're good at, and when you're not sure what the end goal is. And that's actually a really, really good place to sit. Because more than you and I would like to admit, that's what life is like. We don't know the end goal. God gives us one step at a time. We're not at all confident that we know what we're doing. And yet we're trying to make a thing of beauty, but we don't know what its final goal is. And we have layer upon layer upon layer. And quite honestly, the other analogy I love from that workshop is that sometimes we're sitting with a layer that we love what it looks like. And God changes the rules just like Amanda did. <laughs> 
I know some of you got mad at Amanda today. I love Amanda, and she's okay with that because she knew that you'd get mad too, right, Amanda? And he is laying down a new layer. And he is inviting you to be a part of laying down that layer. And you are grieving over the layer that is getting lost underneath because you feel like it's getting lost. But you need to know something. Every layer of your life shines through. And and when we hit a season and we hit a place, there's one layer that has the forefront. And that's what we see and that's what others are seeing. But you need to know that every layer that has been painted prior to today is influencing the layer that is on the top. And when you have to lay down a layer over a layer that you really loved, maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's empty nest. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is for you. It could be a phenomenal change, a a, a new job, a different family surrounding, a move. Every change includes loss and gain. I don't know what your layer looks like, but I know there could be grief in your life simply because you love the layer that you were living with and God's asking you to have the courage to look at what the new layer is. Because ladies, none of our layers stay stagnant. None of them do. Life is always in progress. We are always developing. And the thing that God is developing in you is beautiful. Because you see, unlike you and I, he actually is an artist. (laughs) And he does know what he's doing. And when we will trust his brushstrokes, And we will, with courage, step into where he is calling us to go. We will be amazed when we look back. And sometimes we get little glimpses of, oh my goodness, that's what he was doing. I got a tiny glimpse like that yesterday. There was a woman that I know well who was coming to retreat, had asked for a room by herself. When our retreat started to fill up and I started texting some of you, emailing some of you saying, I think you're going to need to go look for a hotel room, um, I got in touch with this woman and said, hey, do you want to come be my roommate? She said, oh, yeah, I can flex. If you're sending women to a hotel, no problem. Well, in the last couple of weeks, there were several cancellations, and I hadn't really put two and two together. And when I showed up at retreat, here's my room, and here's the nether door, and there's no names on the door. I was like, oh, yeah, that one ended up empty because of one of the moves that was made. And then I had this thought flash to the woman who I had invited to come into our room and who had graciously said yes, and I thought, I'm going to see if I can get her back in that room so she can have a weekend of solitude like she'd been hoping for. And when she arrived, what she told me was, you know, I knew I could flex and give, and I assumed that when I did that, God would change my desire, but he hadn't changed my desire for a weekend of some solitude. And so I had just today had a friend praying for me that God would open up a room at retreat. Those are the little glimpses we get of, oh, that's what God was doing. But there are times when we need to remember that there will come a day when we get the big glimpse, when we get to look back over the whole thing and we go, oh. And you know that feeling you get when you look at a newborn or sometimes you look at a sunset or, or uh, Mount Jefferson Park in the spring when all the wildflowers are in bloom and, you, and it takes your breath away. And you, oh, it's so beautiful. That's what's going to happen when you get the opportunity to look back at the canvas that God was painting and laying layers on for your life. You're going to look back and go, no way. That's what you were doing. And the little color that shines through from this season of life and the little texture that shines through from this part, they're also very important, and yet it takes courage to lay down a layer when we don't know what it looks like, to be obedient when we don't get to be in control. (laughs) to do drips and splots when it wasn't really what we felt like doing, and we don't feel like we're very good at drips and splots. You see, because I think spiritually, our walk with God can kind of be like 
my journey with running. Because we start with joy. We're new believers and we come to the Lord and we're just so thankful for what he saved us from and we start with this great joy. And then it becomes this accomplishment phase, doesn't it? It's training and it's good. It's, we call it discipleship. But somewhere along the line, it becomes about what we look like and what others think and, and am I as spiritual as they are? And it can get lost. It doesn't always, but it can get lost in this sense of competition and achievement. And the joy goes out of it. And then we go into these years of, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not performing anymore. I'm not icing up to my thighs every day. I have worked, I have strived, I have tried. That isn't working for me anymore. We know we want God, but we don't know what that looks like. And we enter this season of life where we feel guilt and shame because we're not training hard and we're not following what the coaches have told us and we're not doing the things we think we're supposed to do. But quite honestly, we're just too tired and we're weary and we can't enter in with God the way we used to. And we want to enter in with God, but those tapes play that are the performance tapes and we don't know how to break out of the performance. And we need the pruning that leads to the season where we can come back into our walk with God from a place of how we personally connect with God and from a place of what he is calling us to do and not from a place of performance or what people are going to think about me, but from a place of... I am his beloved daughter, and this is where I want to live because this is what I was made to do. You see, I think we're sometimes like me on the beach. We take off and we're like, this is a challenge. This is great. This is glorious. I'm going to work hard at this. And then we hit the stiffer wind and we're like, man, this is harder work than I thought it was going to be, but this is great. And then we hit the stiffer wind and we're like, who's watching me? Because I just am not looking very <laughs> impressive right now. And we finally come to the place where we realize our limits and we turn around and we say, okay, God, how do I get back to the place where I'm leaning on you rather than just trying to push through and drive into the wind? I said yesterday that we were going to look at Jesus. And we are. <laughs> In a really rapid fire way. <laughs> so get ready, to, if you were taking notes, find a blank space because I'm going to tell you the things that meant to be this whole message because all of that was my intro, just so you know. <laughs> I won't take as long as I would have taken otherwise, but all of that was the intro. <clears throat> when we look at the life of Jesus, the question I want to look at tonight, the question I want to look at tonight before we go to a time of prayer together, we're gonna, Laura's going to come back up and lead us through some worship. I'm going to leave us with some reflection questions uh, with some worship, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. So I'm going to wind down the teaching we're going to have some reflection, and then we're going to pray with each other. I want to ask the two questions. Where does courage come from, and what blocks us from walking out in courage? Okay? Um, I may circle back to this tomorrow if I feel like we need to touch on some things some more, but we're going to kind of go rapid here. One of the things that courage flows from is promise. When you look at the scriptures, God gives promise after promise after promise. And if you look at Joshua, when they were calling them into the promised land, which is where our verse comes from that you've seen on the cards this weekend, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged, for I am with you. It's a promise. God has promised them the promised land, and the reason he's calling them to courage is because he has promised that they will inherit it. When we look at scripture and we know a promise, we can walk out in courage because we know the promise of God. So one of the places that courage flows from are the promises of God. In order to know the promises of God, we have to know his word. So one of the places that courage flows out of is being a student of the word. 
If we want to walk and live in everyday courage, we've got to know the God of the Bible and know what the God of the Bible says, which is what Jesus did. Jesus grew up as a child, learning scriptures as any Hebrew child would, and as an adult, he took time to go away and be with his father regularly, to go away to a solitary place and pray. And you and I need to learn from that. If we are going to know the promises of God, the voice of God, and the word of God, then we have to be students of his voice by learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we have to be students of his word by reading it. We can talk a lot about the Bible, but if we're not reading it, then we probably aren't becoming students of it. And asking the Holy Spirit to show us what he wants us to learn when we are reading it. Another thing that courage flows from is from the presence of God. Over and over and over again, when you see in Scripture a call to courage, it is because I will be with you. Because I am with you. Jesus said, I will be with you even to the ends of the earth. So one of the things that our ability to walk daily with courage our ability to put our real self forward and live unedited, to embrace that we have beauty and give that beauty on behalf of our world is to know that God is present with us. Courage flows out of his presence. Courage also flows out of obedience. In Joshua, when they were going to take the land, God said, be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. And in John 15, Jesus, talking about how to remain in his love, how to walk in the life that he had demonstrated for them to walk, had said, you will remain in my love if you obey my commands. And I honestly don't think that means if we disobey his love, he's re- if we disobey him, he's removing his love. I think that what that means is that you and I are invited to position ourselves in his love, which is constant, eternal, and never changing. But when we disobey, we step out of the flow of his love. (laughs) He isn't changing. He isn't going anywhere. He still loves us. But he says, when you obey me, you remain in my love. And ladies, that is where we want to be. (laughs) Courage also flows out of hope. If we don't have hope, how can we act with courage? Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Hope flows out of trusting who he is. I had a difficult situation this afternoon, and I, um, I called my husband. I just needed a quick prayer because I needed to regroup pretty quickly. And you know, sometimes you just get those things that just kind of derail you. And I, I hit one of those today, and I thought, God, I can't get derailed today. Where do I turn for a trusted person to talk to about this? I gave my husband a call, and he just said a short prayer. And all I remember is he said, I believe you are God. And I went, okay, that's all I needed to know. I just needed to be reminded that he is God and I can trust him. And so our hope flows out of trust. So trust, God is God. He is God. I'm not. He is. (laughs) What does that mean? He's God. Trust, hope, courage. Romans 5.5 says, Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. God has poured out his love into our hearts. That's why we trust him, because he loves us so much, because we are his beloved, because that is our identity. You see, the enemy, from your youngest age, has been trying to undermine the identity, the beauty that God created in you. The enemy of your soul has had 2,000 years, 4,000 years to practice on humankind and undermine the gifts and the abilities and the beauty and the strength that God has given his people. 
And from your youngest age, the enemy has been sowing seeds of deception and lies into your head about what your identity is. And my lie is that I'm not worthy of belonging. And I don't know what your lie is, but I bet you came face to face with it today. And we cannot conquer those lies on our own. The perfect love that casts out fear is the place where we rest. See, we don't have to wrestle with this. We don't have to try to make this work. We don't have to figure this out. Journaling is good. Awareness is good. But if our goal is that we walk away from this weekend with answers and we just figured out how to not live in this lie, we're going to be disappointed. But if our goal this weekend is to run to the perfect love that casts out fear because it is his love that is poured out for us and it is that love that gives us hope and it is that hope that gives us courage, then we have something to go off of because then we can go home and have something to launch from when we recognize that lie rising up about our identity because we can speak the truth to that lie and say perfect love casts out fear. And I might feel really insecure right now and I might feel like I don't belong in this group and I might be reading in the things that people are upset with me because of my fear of belonging. And I might be starting into my stuff of kind of trying to show you how great I am because I'm kind of worried about not belonging. But the truth is I am God's beloved daughter and his perfect love casts out fear. And I don't have to listen to that lie anymore. And it's not a once and done thing. It is a process, it is a journey, and it is coming to the awareness that when our symptoms, our pain rise up, our lack of courage rises up, then we need to be reminded of where does courage flow from and go back to the place where God can encourage us, fill us back up with courage. And that's the place where he loves us. You guys good for about five more minutes? Okay. One more thought I'd like to unpack before I turn it over to Laura. Jesus also knew his calling and purpose. And his courage flowed out of the fact that he knew what his purpose on the earth was for. And God will reveal calling and purpose to us. And when we have a solid sense of that, we will walk out with more courage than before we knew that. And there are times when we wait in mystery and we don't know exactly what the calling and purpose is for this season, and that's okay. But when we have a clear calling and purpose, we can walk with more courage. In the Gospels, three of the Gospels, they tell a story uh, when Jesus was in the height of his ministry and he was, miracles were happening all over the place. Um, these four friends brought their paralytic friends to the meeting, friend to the meeting and they couldn't get in. And so you remember, they went up on the roof and they took off a section of the roof and they lowered their friend down, right? I did not write down where this is in the Bible, so I'm going to tell it to you from memory and you guys can look it up and find out which passage it was. So when they lower their friend down, Jesus sees him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, but wait. He's been healing all these people of their diseases and their deafness and their blindness and they're lowering their friend down because they want what? They want him to walk. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. And what's fascinating to me about this story is that the Pharisees are livid they are livid that he would presume to say that he could forgive sins. Who are you that you could forgive sins? They're, it's just totally mind-boggling to them that this man... Note, they have seen him do miracles. They know that he can heal. They do not believe that he can forgive sin, right? So Jesus says, in order for you to know that I have the power to forgive sins, be healed, stand up, and walk. 
and the man stands up and walk. And I think in our day and age, we blow past the forgiveness piece and we go, oh, look, it's another miracle because we don't see those kind of miracles very often, though I do believe that Jesus is still doing them and that is his heart for people who are broken, lame, and hurting. I believe healing is his heart. But I want to go back to that forgiveness piece because I think you and I might not quite grasp what forgiveness means. Because see, in our evangelical tradition, we have been taught for years and years and years and years and years, those of you that grew up in the church like me forever, that Jesus forgives our sins. We sing songs about it. We talk about it. And quite frankly, it has become trite. And what I want to point out about the culture when Jesus said this to this crowd of people is that they understood the cost of sin because they were living under the sacrificial system. They were still sacrificing lambs and goats and birds and counting each of their sins and each of the places where they broke any of the rules. And for every rule that they broke, there was a sacrifice that they were supposed to make and something that they were to do to make amends. And it was with ceremony and cleansing and it was tedious and it was a part of their culture and it was a part of their life. These people understood what sin was. And I'm not sure that you and I understand what sin is because we have, I think, at least for me, we've taken it and gone, oh, Jesus forgives sin, and we've looked at all of his healings. Now we need healing. I think we need to back up, and we need to look at this picture of forgiveness, and we need to say, what is this forgiveness that was such a big deal that the Pharisees didn't believe that Jesus could do it? The healing wasn't their problem. The forgiveness. So these people who understood what the cost of sin was were blown away that this man was saying he had the power to cleanse internally without the sacrificial system because he fulfilled the sacrificial system. And in order for you and I to walk with courage, we have to know what forgiveness means. Forgiveness doesn't just mean that it's okay if we sin. Forgiveness means that in our very sin nature, while we are the ugliest we've ever been, think of an ugly moment, (laughs) Jesus loves us because of forgiveness. It's that big. And when we come to recognize that nothing that we do, nothing, not one thing, can separate us from the love of Christ, then we can walk in courage. I believe that God is speaking to you. You've had a lot of questions asked today. The worship team's gonna come. You can respond to the message by singing. You can just be quiet and pray. You can look through your notes from today and talk with God a little more about some of the stuff you've been processing. And then I'm gonna come back up and set up our prayer time.